Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hey y'all, it's another episode of the Mahogany Moms Podcast. We have a special guest today. Oh, and so back to what I was saying, we have a special guest with us today. We have Reverend Dr. Tamala Wilson. She is a um, mom of two. She is a director of institutional relationships, and she's the founder of the Waiting Room Infertility Ministry. She has a lot of other things that she does. And so I'll let her tell more about who she is and what she does. But you guys, welcome Dr. Tamala, Reverend Dr. Tamala Wilson to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So tell us more about who you are and what you do. So you said it right. I'm a mom and I'm a minister. And then among those things, I'm a recent doctorate of ministry uh, graduate. Yay. My actual graduation will be on June 12th. And I am working the financial industry, but also have been called and working in ministry for, for quite some time now. And I'm an ordained minister. I'm part of the which focused on for holistic self-care for Black women in ministry. Awesome. So we'll have to talk. Well, tell us a little bit more about that. What is that, um, what is that ministry, the wellness ministry? What does it look like? What kind of services do you provide? Is it local? So I do a lot of different things. Oh, I left one thing off too. I also do a morning thing with DJ here in Houston, Rob G, the general Monday through Saturday. We do like a little, we, we don't really call it a show, but that's what other people call it. But we talk to each other. So the holistic self-care, my project for the dissertation was to do a retreat. So I formed this group and we did a retreat and I've been asked to do it again. It, it likely be in August. That's when we did the first one. Since then, I have just recently come back from New York, helping out with a retreat there, facilitating, talking about holistic self-care. And really, I like to give a lot of the history of Black women and why it is so important for whether you're a minister or not, why we have this need for self-care and why we haven't usually taken advantage of it that we've, we've kind of bought into this stereotype of the strong black woman. Yes. Um, Shaniqua Walker Barnes talks about it. It's all one word. It's not the same thing as being a black woman that's strong. Right. It's this kind of superhuman creature that by very, the very nature of making you superhuman dehumanizes you. It yes. says you don't feel pain. It says you don't have to, you know, you, you, you always push through. You can carry the weight of the world you know, on your shoulders. And that is not healthy. And and what's interesting is I thought that I was doing it because I saw so many women in ministry that were working so hard because, you know, ministry is just like, you know, a lot like corporate America, I should say, in that we have the, you know, stained glass ceiling. And so a lot of women are really, you know, working hard to get what sometimes our brothers get handed to them you know, as far as pastorates and, and things like that. And so, but I, I realized though that through talking with Dr., I mean, not Dr., Reverend Juanita Rasmus, she was our fireside chat the first night of the retreat that I hosted last August. 
And when we had our pre-meeting, after she talked to me and I was, you know, all like I am full of energy and let's do this. And she was like, can you just breathe? And I was like, oh, okay, let's breathe. (laughs) And by the time we got through talking, I was in tears and I realized I had my epiphany that I was really doing this because I was the one that needed to really focus more on holistic self-care. And she told me something that I've been saying to everybody. Teachers teach what they need to learn. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Teachers teach what they need to learn. Exactly. I like that. So Mm -hmm. that brings me to some of my questions as to why we have you on the Mahogany Moms podcast. So the the whole holistic self-care is right on time, right? Because we're in um, a pandemic that moms have been going through for the you know, the last year, year and a half, or maybe not year and a half, quite year and a half, but, um, and moms are wearing all the hats. They're doing all the things on top of all the other things they were doing. So tell us about your journey into motherhood. So my journey into motherhood started late. I was 40 when I married. And by the time I had my first son, I was 43 and I had my second son at 46. And part of the reason was I knew that I would have challenges with fertility because I had fibroids. I had many of them and I had a myomectomy. I think they were removed like 11 fibroids. Some of them were grapefruit size. And so I knew I was going to have some challenges. And then by the very nature of being older at 40, your egg production cuts in half. And so I was already somebody that was going to have problems. And then I I was older. So it took, you know, it it was a short journey compared to a lot of people that are on the infertility journey, but it took It took three years and I was advised to do IVF after my myomectomy. I didn't listen. A lot of people have this same um, story that or or testimony. It's it's hard when you want to do things in your in your mind as natural as possible. And that was what was in my mind. But turns out IVF was the best way for me to go. And so I did six rounds of in vitro to get two boys. So to have two children Um, and my boys are now 10 and seven and they are amazing and I love them very much, but it was a lot of work to get them. (laughs) So tell us more about, because you said six rounds. So what does in vitro look like? What is it? What did you have to do? I know you have to take shots, but what does that look like just on a day to day? How do you interact with, how are you interacting with your husband? What did that look like? It's very challenging. And one of the things in my ministry that I talk to people about is really trying to um, build a foundation in their marriage because the infertility journey is not just hard on you individually, it's hard on you as a couple. So you are told, you know, you can't be intimate at this time or you need to be intimate, you know, so you're going through all that. When you have in vitro, you're basically implanting an egg that has been fertilized, for lack of a better term, by their sperm or by sperm, and then it's implanted in you. And it can vary depending on what your situation is. One of the things that I tell women in the ministry is you can be a mother. If you want to be a mother, you can be a mother. But you have to decide what it is you really want. Are you okay with it being, you know, a donor egg or donor sperm or using someone else as the uh, gestational carrier Or, you know, are you fine with adopting? I mean, you have to decide what being a mom means to you. I really wanted the experience of being pregnant. So, yes, it was it was shots every day. And I had 
you know, my now ex-husband was a high school football coach in a different city. And so sometimes he would stay where he was and I had to have somebody to give me the shots. And he, my parents, my parents live in Houston now, but at the time when I had Holland, my first son, they did not. And so I had two girlfriends, actually three girlfriends who I knew I could go to, you know, if one of them wasn't available, then they would have to give me a shot in the behind. So all of your, you know, (laughs) modesty (laughs) as you're going through this. So you have to get shots and there's, you know, there's a lot of, you're taking different medications. Your hormones are like crazy, crazy. Like you're like just, you know, and also sometimes those that have been on the journey or the myomectomy, it can take you into menopause early. So that's a whole nother situation. Oh, Okay, so let's talk about these shots. Were you having to take the shots at the same time every day? Yes. Wow, so you had to schedule those shots because if your husband wasn't at home, well, your now ex-husband, if he wasn't at home, you'd have to schedule with your girlfriends their availability. How did that work? Well, and let me add another wrinkle in there. At the time, I was working full-time and I was in seminary. Oh, wow. So I had class on Monday nights, so I knew that I couldn't get the shots before nine o'clock because on Monday nights I would always have class until that, you know, around that time, and then I'd have to get to a person. So I ended up, you know, doing the shots at night because that was the time that I knew most people I could get to. So my friend Latoya gave me the most shots, but my friend um, Sharon and my friend Dorothea also gave me shots. Wow. Okay, so... You go through six rounds. What is it like? What is it like to not for the for you know the first round you go through and it doesn't take? What are you then experiencing? It's heartbreaking. I remember there was a show called Brothers and Sisters with Kalista Flockhart and Rob Lowe, and they were this couple and they were dealing with infertility at the same time that I was going through it in real life. And the Kalista Flockhart's character told her mother, played by Sally Fields that every month, you know, that she finds out she's not pregnant, she gets her cycle, that her heart breaks a little bit every month. And I called my mother and I said, that's how I feel. That's how I feel every month. You know, it's like every month you're waiting and it doesn't happen. And so it's it's heartbreaking. And so what they did, I had two eggs implanted and they didn't take, but then the second round they took. But the good thing for me was that I had friends who were also on this journey. I had a very good friend. Matter of fact, our boys, her boys, both her boys are born in February and my boys are born in July and August of the same year. So we both have, you know, kids the same age. And so every time she would get pregnant, that would be like a little bit of encouragement for me, you know, but yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. And so two round, first round didn't get pregnant. Second round got pregnant. I had seven eggs left and then I did two more and then one more and didn't get pregnant. I got more eggs, did two more, didn't get pregnant, and then did two more and got pregnant. So they implant, when I say two more, they implanted two eggs or put two eggs in and one, you know, took. So. Okay. So it sounds like part of this journey or part of what is helpful on this journey, well, just in life period, especially as a mom, is support. So you said you mentioned you had a friend that was going through that was an encouragement 
to you, but it sounds like she was also a support. So you all were going through a support. You all were going through the same thing at the same time. And you could talk about some of the heartbreak that you were experiencing. And she understood. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, yes, we went through it together and we were so delighted. I remember at her baby shower, that was when people first found out that I too was expecting, you know, she had known, but you know, so yeah. And that, and that's kind of how the ministry was born because I gave a little bit of my testimony at church during a sermon Mm -hmm. uh, when I was interning at Wheeler. And as I looked out into the congregation, I could see women, may have been men too, but I could see women tearing up as I was talking about it. And I only told a little bit of my story, but, you know, and so I went to our pastor Cosby and I said, you know, God has put it on my heart to start this ministry. And it's so funny. I am amazed at how many women have been on the infertility journey. And so now when I talk to women who have kids that are like, you know, high school, junior high, they're like, I wish something had been around like this when I was going through this. Yes. Cause that, yes. Cause it is, you know, I know that it is a difficult process and having support, being able to hear other women who, who've gotten pregnant from IVF because you hear so many stories of women who it didn't work for. Right. Um, and so having someone to say, yes, I did it and it worked is such an encouragement and such a support. And just the, the ups and downs that you experienced, like you mentioned, that you experienced on your journey, it's helpful to have somebody to talk to as well. Okay, yeah, I remember, so. I remember telling my friends one time we had a this nonprofit. We were meet, had a meeting and I told them I was going to get my test done. And I said, don't please don't ask me when I get there. I said, if I order a glass of wine, you will know the answer. And let's just do that because I, I don't think I can talk about it. If you know, and when I got there, I ordered a glass of wine and they were, you know, I could tell they felt so sad, but they just kept on talking. And, you know, so. That's good. I like that the actual fact that you gave like a signal so that people wouldn't your friends wouldn't ask you questions because that's what we do, right? And then that's what we do. it takes you into this whole other space. And you're like, I wasn't coming here for that. So Right. <laughs> so moms, if you're on this IVF journey, maybe that's something you want to do. Give your friends some kind of signal and so where you don't have to talk about it. So let's talk about okay, so you go through the IVF process, you go through it once to have your oldest son. What makes you decide to do it again? Since the first time is, I mean, it's such a roller coaster. but what makes you decide to do it again? Well, initially it was because I still had eggs left. Okay. And then, you know, my ex-husband was the one, he, he really didn't want an only child, which I was like, I don't know what you mean. I'm an only <laughs> child. I don't see the problem with that. So, but, you know, and I'm very thankful for Hudson. But I, after we, you know, weren't successful the, those two additional times, I was ready to stop. And he really made, he was like, you know, you're the one that's always talking about we need to trust God, you know, and if we want a second baby, you know, we should trust God. And so, you know, we did. And here we are with two. But, you know, it's, I mean, for me, you know, it's a very expensive process. And I did something that I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage people to do, but I actually went into my 401k, like not my actual 401k. I have, I've worked a lot of different places in my life. And so I have different 401ks here and there that, you know, so I, I dipped into to that retirement money to pay for it. Okay. My retirement money. Yeah. So you mentioned something else. So you're a reverend, right? And so how does your how did your spirituality play out with choosing IVF? Because we know 
there's so much around that. So how did that, how did you use that or how did you make the decision or was it even a decision? You know, how did you incorporate your spirituality in this whole IVF process? Right. So I, um, you know, I believe, and I tell everybody this, I think it's much prayer is required for this journey, for discernment, for guidance. And I was actually taking a, a course called Theology and Science. And I wrote my paper about IVF. And so I did a lot of research. And my, my, my doctor at my practice actually wants me to turn it into a book because he says it would be very, he thinks it would be very helpful for people, you know, on this journey. But it talked about, you know, different views that people had. And I, 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 said, I said something like miracle or malpractice. Or something like that. I said, you know, and so and so the the Jewish faith has a thing that they call like basically I can't think of the term for it right now. I don't want to get it wrong, but it's basically anything that that brings a woman a baby is a good thing. And that's kind of how, how I see it. And my doctor made it very clear, too. He said, you know, as much as doctors like to think that we're God at the end of the day, I don't care how well we implant it. It's still the miracle that comes from God that actually results in a birth. There's nothing a doctor can do to guarantee that you get pregnant. You know, if someone had cancer, don't get treatment. Well, most people wouldn't say. I mean, I think there may be some people that would say that. But, but most people would say, you know, get whatever cures you. And infertility is a diagnosis. And there is help for it. And so I think that we should take advantage of it. I love that. So there's some mom who's, you know, having difficulty conceiving and she, you know, maybe thinking about IVF, but she's having a hard time reconciling her faith with making the choice of doing IVF. And so what you just said, I think, speaks to, you know, so many women who find themselves in that same position. So let's talk about the, the highs and lows. Let's, well, one of the things I did want to ask you, did you have any complications after, during delivery or after? Well, no, both boys were born through C-section. Okay. And that was because I had the myomectomy. And so they didn't want to take a chance with me trying to deliver. My youngest, the pregnancy, I mean, my oldest, the pregnancy was like the easy peasy. I mean, it was the easiest thing. You know, I was the most peaceful I've ever been in my life. My second pregnancy, I was 46. And he was a much bigger baby. He was almost nine pounds. And so it was a harder pregnancy for a lot of reasons. At the end, I took a little fall. It wasn't bad, but, you know, I had to be on bed rest for a little bit. And I I just felt that that second pregnancy was harder on my body. Okay. Do you think it was, do you think it was because you were older? Um, Do you think it was because he was bigger? What do you attribute it to? I think it was a lot of things. I think I was older, he was bigger, and I was also dealing with a lot of stress. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the the highs and lows of motherhood. Let's start with the highs. <laughs> so, of course, the highs for me is the fact that I actually conceived. I had said to God, you know, you said in your word that you would give me the desires of my heart within um, your will. And so if this is not your desire, I mean, your will for me, take away the desire. Because I knew, I mean, there's many people that are very happy without having children. You know, children are not the answer to happiness. But I knew it was my heart's desire. So I prayed that prayer over and over again. It's not an easy prayer to pray, but I prayed it. 
And I felt that God answered me. And I told my um, ex-husband, I said, we're going to have a baby. And he said, are you pregnant? I said, no, but I've asked God to remove this from me. And he had, so the high was, you know, buying Obama onesies and actually having a baby (laughs) 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 to wear it. (laughs) And he's the, he was the youngest grandson on his father's side and my parents only grandchild. So, you know, he, you know, he was just, and he was such a sweet and amazing little baby. So those were really the highs. And then having Hudson and, you know, they've both just turned into these incredible little boys that just tug at your heart. And we have a lot of fun, you know, spending time with them. And, you know, I was able to take them, my, my company for our 25th anniversary, took the whole firm to the Grand Caymans. And I was able to take them with me and they got to go to Grand Cayman and they have passports. And, you know, so that was really cool. They're, they're actually pretty good little travelers. And so those have been some of the, the great highs that we've had. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about the lows. So one of the lows is I've mentioned a couple of times my ex-husband. So I'm no longer married. I went through a divorce and I'm fine. I've, I've you know. I actually, I went to counseling. I think you know that just to make sure that I would be okay. Yay. (laughs) So, but the hardest thing for me is, you know, the the concern about how it impacts the boys. I do feel like this was the best for them because I don't think that what was being represented to them as what a a marriage should be was, was what I wanted them to learn. But my oldest son asked me, did I think about them when I made the decision or when, when we decided to, to divorce? And that kind of broke my heart. But what I, I told him was I absolutely thought about you. I thought about you more than anything. I can't, like that is amazing to me that he would, that that question would even, I mean, there's so many kids I think that think that, but for him and, and, and for him to say it so eloquently, that's amazing. Yes. Well, I, I, I mean, I can't take credit for him. He's an amazing little boy, but I could take some credit in that I really try to foster conversation and not have him feel like he can't talk to me about things. And I ask him questions, you know, about things to, to see how he feels. And, you know, one of the people I had him to talk to somebody immediately after the divorce, and they told me that as long as he's talking to me and talking about things and his feelings that we're in a good place. Yeah, so that's good that he wasn't holding it in. So whatever right. he was feeling that he was able to communicate it. That that's exceptional. <laughs> I think he's exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what do you wish you knew about motherhood before becoming a mom? Wow. So you know, it's there's things that you know, like I I knew from friends that it was hard, but you have this it's, it's like levels of hardness that I didn't really fully grasp, yes. you know? <laughs> so, you know, there's the, the babies and there's waking up in the middle of the night and potty training. And, you know, then you get this freedom when they're finally able to bathe themselves. And, yes. you know, but then if you have boys, you still got to check them because they'll get in the water yes. and not bathe, not wash themselves. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> but I think like, you know, trying to do the right things for them and how there's no, you know, each kid is so different and they have different challenges. And 
I wish that I had, you know, maybe done more research about certain things so that I would be more. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that could happen, you know, to, to try to be knowledgeable about everything. I think unless you're like a child, you know, pediatrician or a child psychologist, I think that's a little unrealistic. But I just feel like, you know, I wish I had known how many things come at you yeah. all the time and and how important it is. And I think I probably didn't know this because I think a lot of times black moms don't don't do this. So they don't know this either. Mm-hmm is how important it is to take time for yourself. Yes. That when you start to feel deplenished, that you you pass that on. Like you're, you know, you. so the, the better you can take care of yourself, the more you have to give to them, yes. you know, so. So let me ask you, I want to ask your thoughts about this. And that's just because it's now, right now in the news. And you mentioned that you were an older mom. And so- Naomi Campbell just had a baby and she's 50. So, you know, for a lot of women. Did she have like, a baby? See, that's the part I'm not really clear on. They keep saying <laughs> have a baby, but I'm like, well, I didn't know. I, I haven't seen pictures of her being pregnant. So I don't really know what they're saying. I mean, I don't know what that yeah. really means. But yeah. I just want to ask you for a lot. Of, there are a lot of women, a lot of younger women who are making the choice to, you know, focus on their career first and then. Right saying, okay, well, celebrities are having babies like later. What, you know, what are your thoughts about it? You've, you're, you've experienced it. So what I would say to, to younger women who think they want to wait, freeze your eggs, please, immediately, as soon as you can. I would say that. And I would also say that we are only getting the story that they want us to hear. Right. So a lot of these folks that are having these late in life children are absolutely doing IVF. They're absolutely doing other things to help them. And some of them are adopting or using surrogates. So think about if that's something that you want to do. You know, if you're okay with having a surrogate, then, you know, you got lots of time. And if you have money, you've got plenty of time. If, If you want it to be your egg and you want to carry it, Freeze your, freeze your eggs as soon as you can. And then don't wait too long because the challenge is, you know, I was healthy, but sometimes, you know, you start developing, you know, high blood pressure or diabetes or some other things, you know, take good care of yourself because that will complicate you being able to carry your baby. Yes, that's very good. And something else is that the best time to freeze your eggs is in your 20s because your egg quality diminishes. And so there's also the percentage of eggs that are frozen that actually are able to fertilize. The percentage is not that high. Yeah, you have to, you know, you I would encourage folks to, you know, freeze, like you said, early and, and know that now. I mean, it's getting this. The science is getting so good, you know, where. I mean, they're able to do the, all the genetic testing and a lot of different things. And so, you know, it, it makes it a little bit easier than like back in the day when they were freezing eggs. But I still say, you know, like you freeze in your 20s and, you know, just I mean, and, and do your research. Yes. You know, look, look at the clinics that you're thinking about using. And you can have, a, I think, like a free consultation with a, a IVF clinic. And they can give you some guidance. I there's a lot of really good ones in Houston. I work with Houston Fertility Institute. That's where both my boys were conceived, and we do full disclosure a partnership with them. They they actually speak at my symposium that I we host at the church for the waiting room every year on our panel. 
So. Awesome. So I want to switch gears again. So you talk about having two boys. Do you feel like you parent, you mother differently because you have two African-American sons? Or do you feel like fatherhood looks different? Absolutely. In what way? Well, you know, so we have all this, a lot of things going on in our world right now. One of them has been, you know, more, you know, not that, well, the Me Too movement. Yes. And, you know, I'm a woman and I support women and I am um, a firm believer in, you know, I should be able to come into the workplace and not be made to feel harassed or anything like that. I also am the mother of two boys, though. And so I get concerned sometimes when I hear, you know, like it's almost like sometimes the man is automatically wrong, he's guilty before and and that scares me to death because I have two black boys. I also, of course, you know, ever since the George Floyd murder, I was already, you know, upset every time we had to add another name to the say their name list. But when George Floyd was murdered, I became not just angry. I had this rage in me mm-hmm. and I felt like it was just, I was sitting with it. And that, that's, you know, I realized I wasn't just angry because anger is fleeting. It goes away. But I was enraged all the time. And I had to really, as a, as a Christian, and as a minister, I had to kind of work through that. But that was my fear that, you know, what, you know, I have these boys and I'm trying to raise them and, I have a son who's on the spectrum and he's going to be a boy. And what if, you know, I don't know what his, you know, how he's going to interact with people when he's that age. And so, you know, will his life be at risk because he's on the spectrum and he's not communicating in a way that's acceptable to an officer at that time. And so, you know, and, but I don't, I don't serve a God of, of, of fear. Right. And so I've had to, you know, Pray about that. But yeah, absolutely. I feel I parent differently than the oh, my someone that's not a person of color that has two boys and even differently than someone of color that has girls. Yes, I absolutely think it's different. I would agree. So you yeah. have shared a lot of good information with us. Is there anything else that you, you I haven't asked or you haven't shared that you'd like to share? I would just like to share that, you know, I'm a firm believer in um, following your your passion into your purpose and remembering that this is not a dress rehearsal. And so I feel like that as a mother, you should not um, minimize your goals or your desires you, you know, you have to prioritize things, yes. but I think it's possible to do the things that you're passionate about, because I think that shows your children something. When your children see that you're passionate about something, when they see that you value, you know, you and I, you know, going back to school and finishing while we had kids, it showed our children the value that we have on education. And as we do things that are kind of the norm, which we're showing them that they can kind of write their own way. And so I think it's important for, for moms and dads, but for moms to not just feel like, oh, I've got to wait for all of this, you know, to raise my kids before I live my life. Right. You know, I think that you have to live your life and that shows them how to live theirs with passion. 
Yes, exactly. I love that. You living your life shows them how to live. That's yes, funny. shows them how to live there. <laughs> so where can where can moms find you? How can moms find you? They can find me um, on Facebook. I'm Rev- I'm Tamla Wilson. On Twitter, I think I'm still Reverend Tamla. On IG, I'm Reverend R-E-V-D-R Tamla, so Rev, Reverend Dr. Tamla. I have a private account, but if you message me, especially if, it, if you're one who's concerned about infertility, you know, of course, I'll bring you on my IG. And then on the, on the, on the Facebook, send me a message, and then I can also add you to our uh, private group, The Waiting Room, which provides encouragement and information around infertility. And then I also have a website. I haven't been as active on it, but it's Tamla Wilson, T-A-M-L-A-W-I-L-S-O-N ministries.com. Awesome. You have shared some really good information with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I know you've had some technical difficulties, but that did not stop us. But I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing with us. Thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing. And you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Well, we'll have to have you back so you can tell us more about the holistic self-care and the things that moms can do. Absolutely. All right. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.